Production support for Noon Edition comes from Smithville. Fiber Internet, streaming TV, home security, and automation in southern Indiana. More information at smithville.com. And from the Bloomington Health Foundation, partnering with local organizations and citizens to invest in programs that address our community's health needs. Bloomington Health Foundation, improving health and well-being takes a community. More at bloomhf.org. Welcome to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg from WFIU WTIU News, along with co-host Sarah Whitmire, the WFIU WTIU News Director. We're recording the show remotely today to avoid the risk of spreading infection from COVID-19. We are talking about advocates' concerns that victims of domestic violence will have trouble getting help during the pandemic. We have three guests with us on the program. We have Deborah Morrow, who is the executive director of Middleway House in Bloomington, Zoe Peterson, associate research scientist at the Indiana University Kinsey Institute, and associate professor of counseling and educational psychology at IU, and Melissa Stone, a social worker for the Bloomington Police Department. If you want to join us on the program today, you can do so, but you have to do it by sending us an email or uh, following us on Twitter. You can follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition. You can send your emails to news at indianapublicmedia.org. Well, thank you all for being here with us today. I know uh, these are difficult times for everybody, but we've heard a lot about how it's particularly difficult for people who are in situations of domestic violence. So I wanted to start with you, Deborah, Deborah Morrow from Middleway House. Uh, What are you seeing on the ground? How are things different for Middleway and your clients? Well, um, First off, thank you for having us on the show and discussing this important topic. Um, What we're seeing is that there are still survivors reaching out right at first during the shutdown. It was very quiet. It was almost eerily quiet. Um, Calls have picked back up. Um, What we see is that there is a real fear of leaving right now, uh, a fear of coming into a shelter type situation. Um, People are trying their best to navigate this situation. And for a lot of individuals, it's become harder for them to reach out to us. So we've tried to implement things like a chat service so that somebody wouldn't have to call so somebody can reach out that way. Um, And we've also been able to do Zoom meetings and stuff with individuals. Um, My biggest fear are the individuals who are at home isolating with their abusers and are not able to reach out for help at all during this period of high stress. Zoe Peterson, could you talk a little bit more about this and and how do people sort of navigate this difficult situation? Uh, Zoe, I don't know. There you go. some internet challenges at the moment at the worst possible time. So I truly apologize. Um, So yes, thank you for having me. And I'm happy to talk about this. I think uh, Deborah and Melissa are really on the the front lines, but I can kind of speak to the research piece, which is that we know um, that 
in times of crisis, the risk of domestic violence tends to increase. And it's really hard right now because what we're relying on is, is kind of what, what Deborah told us, which is this kind of anecdotal evidence, like who's calling the shelters. And some places they're really seeing an increase in calls to shelters and the police, whereas other places they're seeing a dramatic decrease. Um, but I think we know from past research that it's really unlikely that rates are actually decreasing in the time of crisis. We know typically they do increase. And so trying to sort of understand what are things looking like right now for, for people who are trapped in these abusive relationships um, and, and what might be preventing them from reaching out. And I think it's often, you know, not being able to uh, get away from their abuser to reach out for help um, or also being afraid to um, expose themselves to the virus if they do reach out. Is the I know that you know stress during these times has been increased uh, for everybody, so it just adds to the problems in a in a case of domestic violence. I would think. Yes, that's right. So so we know when people are stressed, when they have financial difficulties. Um, when they're not getting social support and emotional support, all of those things kind of tax their coping abilities and, and can put them at risk for, for violence. And I would say everybody uh, has had their share of um, internet issues. So Zoe, don't, don't worry about that. <laughs> Thank you. I do apologize. <laughs> no problem. Um, Melissa Stone, so you're a social worker with Bloomington Police Department, and I guess I'd like to ask you what, what you're seeing. Have you, have you seen gotten more calls, fewer calls about domestic uh, issues? Yeah. Um, thanks for having me on this call as well. I'm so happy to be here. Um, I don't have strict numbers right now, but what I can say is that I would have assumed at first that I would have more referrals and calls about um, domestic violence, but I think we aren't seeing the obvious like huge increase that somebody might, might expect. And I think it touches on what Deborah mentioned. Um, we're not, people aren't in the right places all the time right now to be able to reach out for help and to make those calls that maybe they could have done before or maybe a friend could have done if they noticed the difference, um, but people aren't out and about seeing each other. Um, so it's not been a huge increase um, from what we would typically have. How would you characterize just in general, you know, interactions you've had with the public during, during these times? Oh goodness. Um, I actually kind of echo what Deborah said too. The first couple of weeks of this pandemic um, people were still kind of in a shock phase, I would say, and just unsure, but um, just kind of riding along to see how things might go. But we are definitely quite a few weeks in at this point, and people are really starting to worry um, at extra levels. You know, the anxiety that I hear from my people every day has just greatly increased. April ended up being the busiest month I have had um, in this job so far. And that's just people being really worried about the future and what that looks like. And with fall things starting to be canceled, people are really wondering if this will ever end. And it's definitely taking a toll on people's mental health. So Melissa, could you go a little bit deeper into that? So you, it was your busiest month on the job so far. What kinds of calls were you getting? Yeah, so I saw an increase 
in serious mental illness. So there are still services being provided for people at Centerstone, but they're not the same as they usually are. And, you know, their day center is not open anymore. And we have people who usually require a lot of touches and interactions with their case managers, their psychiatrists and things like that. Um, and right now people aren't getting that to the same extent. So people are having trouble with medication management, which is increasing symptoms. Um, people are worried about making rent at an all time high, right? So we have those types of things that people are worried about. And so serious mental illness has been a major one. I've also seen an increase in uh, families who have teenagers usually, who just are at home now and teenagers are running away, you know, thinking it's not a big deal. I don't need to stay home. And parents are just overwhelmed with working from home and taking care of kids at home. So it's a wide gamut of those types of things. Before we get in much further, um, Deborah, Melissa, can you all share a number that people should call if they are going through a abuse situation? Absolutely. If somebody is experiencing domestic violence, they should definitely call our crisis line at 812-336-0846. And if they're unable to make that call, if they go to our website in the top corner, there is a chat box that they can reach out to us by chat and text with us or just message us through that. Awesome. I would definitely recommend reaching out to Middleway House. Um, one thing that I think people either don't know or forget about is that you can also text 911. So you don't have to make a call to 911 if you're in a dangerous situation. You can also text. And I think that's been super helpful for people at times. Thank you. I also, I also think it's important for people to know that Middleway House is not going to tell them they have to leave. I think sometimes people... Uh, believe that if they call us, then that's the end and they'll have to leave the relationship. You know, they can contact us and we can just safety plan with them and help them navigate the situation that they're in now in the safest way possible with no expectation on what they're going to do. We understand that this is a scary time. And while, you know, they may be there with an abuser who's they see as their monster in their home. We understand that COVID-19 is a monster out here that you also don't know, you know, what to do with. And so sometimes navigating that familiar is a lot easier than navigating the unfamiliar to somebody in that situation. And so them wanting to stay in the relationship is not a reason to not reach out. We will still be there and support them. Deborah, can you talk about just some of the additional challenges that being in this pandemic is posing in terms of how Middleway House is able to help folks and how um, you're overcoming those, I guess, too? We've had to reduce our numbers in shelter a little bit, and especially in our rooms for singles, so that we can make sure that there's enough space to social distance. Um, our support groups, that has been a challenge because of course people aren't coming and meeting. So we have been able to set some of those up in Zoom, but that isn't always an option for some people. Some people who maybe still might be with their abuser who's coming to a support group 
that might not be an option for them. Um, really working through individuals' fears, while we all may comfortably put on a face mask to you know, feel safer out in public. You know, one of the things that I've recently found out is that an individual who maybe has had somebody put their hand over their face and hold it over their mouth, that face mask can be very triggering to them. So there's a lot of fear in individuals, like Melissa was saying, people are generally afraid. And, you know, our residents that much more so. And when you think about a survivor who might still be with their abuser, and isolation is so often used in abusive relationships, and then you've got this pandemic that is telling you to be isolated, the abuser is given more tools. They can use the fear, you know, you can't go anywhere because you're going to get sick and really isolating them more from their families. And it, it just, it becomes so overwhelming, I think. And, so, you know, I'm amazed at our direct service staff every day, how they navigate this with the clients. I hope we'll uh, give that those phone numbers again, two or three more times during the program. I think that's important. And if there's anybody out there that has a question, or a comment for us, you can reach us at Noon Edition through Twitter, or you can send us an email to the show at news at indianapublicmedia.org. Wanted to ask uh, Zoe Peterson to expand on some of those things that that Deborah was saying about you know, the the isolation and the triggering mechanisms of putting on a mask and things of, of that nature. I mean, what what would you say to, or can you give any tips for people who might be in this situation to, to try to help them. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's something it's really interesting. It's not something I had thought of is as masks as a trigger, but I mean, I think that there's all kinds of things with, uh, with this pandemic that could trigger someone who has been in a, in a truly abusive relationship. So a, a relationship where, um, you know, there's, there's both a lot of uh, severe violence and also, um, a lot of kind of controlling behavior uh, because we are, you know, we are in all, all of us kind of in some ways being controlled right now. We're being told not to leave the house, not to be in direct contact with, with our friends and our family and our support systems. And often those are things that, that abusers do to their victims. And so for people who have a past history of that, or especially for those that are currently in that situation, um, this could be sort of um, a reliving of a, of a lot of those experiences. Um, so I think, you know, in terms of, of how to cope with that, I think, you know, Deborah has mentioned calling, uh, um, calling Middleway, which I think is a great idea, but also to know that a lot of therapists um, in this community are doing remote therapy sessions and that if you're finding, you know, that you're experiencing kind of PTSD symptoms, um, uh, from past experiences, then, then this can be a really good time to reach out to a therapist. All right. Uh, Melissa, you've seen a lot of the uh, protests of the social distancing orders and things like that, where the police have to sort of get involved. Uh, again, here in Bloomington, your relationship with the public, I, I assume we haven't seen or reported on anything like that. I guess most people are are trying to are most people just following the rules and trying to uh, trying to pay attention to those kind of things. 
Yeah, I mean, I think this is probably the same any in any other location that's that had these types of stay at home orders. There are definitely pockets of people at times um, that maybe aren't practicing physical distancing. Um, every once in a while, we get called in to the department to ask us to uh, make note of that or go out there and remind people of that. And, you know, at times we are going out just to remind people, hey, there is this stay at home order. Um, there's a six feet guidance, you know, things like that. Um, but overall, it seems like most people are trying to do the very best they can. So I would say that, um, of course, we're going to have some, but most people are definitely doing the best that they can. Okay. Um, Deborah, I want to start with you on this question, and then um, Zoe and Melissa can join in as well. But I know that in the best of circumstances, when someone in a uh, in a domestic violence situation has children that can add layers of, uh, of difficulty to it. Um, how does that play itself out when you also have a pandemic on top of it? I think, uh, you know, and that's one of the things that really worries me because as people are told to isolate themselves and school is being done um, virtually and people are working virtually, I think the added, so many times survivors are, are in this situation of always trying to protect their children um, because we know that when there's domestic violence in the home, there's a greater risk of, of child neglect and abuse too. And I think the navigating all of that all at once just can become overwhelming. And Melissa mentioned the families with the children and having the, the stress from that. I think, you know, I, kids are loud, kids are busy, kids are kids and they're beautiful, but oftentimes abusers don't tolerate that well. And so then you have a survivor who's trying to maintain everything in a way that keeps them all safe. And I think that brings extra challenges. And there's always that that wanting to protect your kids. And so coming into shelter can be a really scary thing if you're afraid that there's other people there who might be sick, that might get your kids sick. There's just so many layers. And this is a situation that we've never navigated before. And you know, there's so many unanswered questions. And while we can try to reassure and let them know how much we're keeping our shelter clean and the protocols we have in place, you know, we can't 100% guarantee everything is going to be okay. And that's so hard. It's so hard. Um, you know, we know, honestly, we're thinking that after this is over is when there's going to be a huge onset, but then of survivors reaching out. Um, because we know that natural disasters have shown that, that, you know, the domestic violence increases, but you don't always find that out until after. And with no end in sight, that really worries me because how long are people going to stay in these unhealthy relationships and in this abuse, not reaching out for help? So, and I think kids add a whole new layer because you're not just worried about yourself. You're also trying to protect them, not just from the abuse, but also from the pandemic. 
maybe Zoe can add to this as well, but I wanted to follow up and just say that that was a, that was a really good point and, and one that I was going to ask about in a little bit, but it seems like, you know, people will do their best to stay, stay in the relationship. And then all of a sudden there's going to be something that makes them say, I can't, I can't take this anymore. I can't do this anymore. In this case, at some point, some of the restrictions are going to be lifted mm-hmm. and that's going to be, I would think that that would be a signal that, okay, now is my time that, I need to get out. And so just what you said, I, I was wondering if that was true. And you said that it is that at some point they're going to be, uh, your services are going to be even more needed because people are going to say, well, okay, now's the time I need to get out of this. Yeah. Yeah. So that's like, what we're expecting. Yeah. I mean, I think I agree with, with everything Deborah said, and I, I agree with that important point too, that, you know, in, in cases where there's you know major hurricanes or earthquakes, um, we often don't know the extent to which the domestic violence has increased until until after the crisis has passed, and sometimes a while after the crisis has passed, because um, people sort of don't have the resources or the opportunity to to come forward. So um, yes, I would absolutely predict that, and I and I agree with everything that Deborah said about. The, the sort of role of children too. I think it complicates things in all kinds of ways. Sometimes there's co-occurring child abuse, um, but even if even if there's not, uh, the children are are often witnessing the domestic violence, the intimate partner violence, uh, which we know is um, sort of a, a major psychological trauma for children. And yet, um, you know, it's really hard to to protect the kids from the abuser, protect the kids from witnessing that, protect the kids if you need to go to a shelter, but you're worried about the virus. And so I think, I think all of that just adds a lot of stress and pressure for, for victims who are stuck in that position. Deborah and Melissa, is the same infrastructure in place through the court system, which I know the courts have had to operate in a different way, and the police department to, to provide the kind of support that's necessary if someone does come forward? We at Middleway House are still able to help individuals with their protective orders, help them get them filed. And the court system is still hearing those cases and acting on them. And I am so pleased with how that has worked out. How, how are they uh, hearing those cases? Are they hearing them in person or are they do it, having to do it? In no, they're doing it virtually by telephone, however it needs done if a hearing is needed. Okay, good. Yeah, and as far as policing goes, um, I mean, you've probably seen in the news that they're trying to take fewer people to jail right now to not crowd it as much. But when it comes to violent crimes, including things like domestic violence, those people are still being taken to jail. There's no um, hold up on that. Um, We're still taking those people um, who have hurt somebody else into jail. So that's most of those procedures have been going just the same as they have before. Okay. And Deborah, I, you know, I ask about kids. There's, there's another um, layer of this and that's, I've heard that, that sometimes pets, can sort of slow down the process of somebody wanting to re- leave a relationship. Are you seeing? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, link violence. We know that when there's domestic violence in the home, there can also be child abuse, like we spoke about, animal abuse, or if there's elderly in the home, elder abuse. Um, with pets, we take emotional support 
pets and of course service animals in our shelter for other pets, we will work very hard to help them find another place for that pet to go to be safe. We do not ever want that to prevent somebody from coming in for help. So our advocates will definitely work with them to help them navigate that situation. We're talking about advocates' concerns about victims of domestic violence during this time of coronavirus. We have uh, three guests with us who are joining us uh, via a Zoom call. Deborah Morrow, the Executive Director of Middleway House. Zoe Peterson, Associate Research Scientist at the Indiana University Kinsey Institute and Associate Professor of Counseling and Educational Psychology at IU. And Melissa Stone, a social worker for the Bloomington Police Department. If you have questions or comments, they are here to answer your questions. Just send us uh, your question to news at indianapublicmedia.org. And you can also follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition. Sarah? I was just thinking because of the last things you were talking about, Melissa, perhaps you can answer what happens if you try to file a restraining order right now against someone in your home? Is the, is the court still processing those kinds of things? Yeah, actually, I'll let Deborah talk about that. They do a lot more of that process than I do. Okay. Yes, they are still being processed. Um, our advocates work closely with the folks in the clerk's office virtually, and then they're still going before the judge, the, the protective orders are still going before the judges being signed. If hearings have to be held, they're being held. That was one of the things right at the very beginning of uh, this pandemic and the lockdown was in place. And I have to give the clerk's office some, some excellent credit for how this has gone and also the judges because the individuals who have come here for protective orders, it has worked very well for them. Zoe, are there more, are there certain groups of people, uh, women that are more likely to, to be coming forward at a time like this and, more, and some that are less likely? Yes, well, so I mean, I think there's sort of two parts to that question. Are, are, I think the first is, are there some that are more vulnerable uh, to being victims? And then also kind of who would come forward? And I, I think, I mean, we know that in general, um, people who are marginalized um, or oppressed in some way are, are at greater vulnerabilities. So um, women do seem to be at uh, more risk than men. Um, for very severe domestic violence, um, but, but men can be victims um, of perpetrators, either male or female perpetrators, and women can perpetrate against other women or against men. Um, and, and there's some research to suggest that um, LGBTQ individuals may be at, at very high risk. And I think um, consistent with that, individuals who are racial minorities, older women, women with disabilities tend to be at high risk. Um, and I think all of this is because, you know, individuals who are experiencing oppression and discrimination probably have less power within their relationships and they also have less resources and support outside of their relationship because of that discrimination. Um, but uh, those individuals may not be as likely to come forward um, because they fear discrimination, they fear that the services aren't geared toward them, um, it's harder, you know, maybe for them to get out of the house and get away. So, um, so I think marginalized and oppressed groups have greater vulnerability, but it's also harder for them to to then get services. Okay. Um, so we it, need. 
need to give those numbers two or three times during the program. So let's give those numbers again. If you are having uh, some problems and you, you would like to talk with Middleway House, Deborah? Our number is 812-336-0846 for our crisis line. And I do wanna add that our shelter can serve men. Our shelter can serve individuals no matter what gender they identify with. And we definitely want people to know that we welcome everybody to our services. Okay, Melissa, how about uh, if somebody needs police help? Yeah, absolutely. Of course, you can always call 911. And then another note is that you can text 911 and then we'll get somebody out there to you. Okay. I want to ask you, Melissa, from your standpoint, uh, you are a police officer and, and police officers are are having to go. There's no no staying at home for a police officer. You have to go out and do your work, do your job. Um, how is that affecting the department, do you think? Yeah, well, I'll just make it clear that I'm actually not an official police officer. I'm a social worker who just works with the police department, so I'm not okay. a sworn police officer. However, the police department has made all kinds of changes in terms of um, how we're cleaning cars in between shifts and how we're, um, how we're getting information to each other in terms of not putting everybody in one room for roll call right now and things like that. Um, I know a part of what I've been doing based on directives, you know, from chief and other admin people there is I've been putting together some mental health resources that I have sent out to police officers, especially during COVID. Um, because I am a resource to the community. I'm also a resource to the officers within the department. So I've put out info about these are some signs and symptoms of increased anxiety and depression. And if you're having those, please reach out. And I recently did the same thing for family members. Um, so family members know that they are welcome to contact me with concerns about what's going on with their significant other who is working at the police department right now. So there is a focus within the department right now, especially um, to make sure that mental health services are being provided for our people. Deborah, a similar question to you. Um, your work and the work of people at Middleway House um, is stressful and difficult. Anyway, what extra steps are you taking uh, to make sure that your people are taken care of and that, that everybody who's working with you uh, stays safe? Um, we have some staff that were especially vulnerable um, to the virus. And so for them, we have them on projects, working at home, and also working virtually with um, some clients. We've put in cleaning routines, um, really trying to have staff check in on each other, work together on making sure your coworkers are okay. Um, we have some great board members who send pizza over to, to the staff and trying to do whatever we can, understanding that it is such a hard time and really meeting the staff where they're at with their needs, um, really hearing them and their concerns and putting them first and foremost after our survivors. They're doing that frontline work. And I'm thinking particularly of our direct service staff. They're doing this 
work every day. And especially when this first started, there was such an immense fear, even among staff, which was so understandable and, and, you know, really trying to help them with that and sending them resources and really trying to accommodate for their needs too. Deborah, I'm curious just about the finances of Middleway House because certainly um, nonprofits, folks that rely on donations and grants, they're struggling now. Um, what do you are are you seeing an impact yet? And then how are you preparing for something like less money to operate with? You know, right now we're okay, and. Um, do we know what's coming in the future? No, I do understand that this community has so many needs and there are so many great uh, nonprofits in this town and, and I understanding individuals have lost jobs and things like that. We have not laid off any staff. I think it's very important that we try very hard to maintain our staff for all that they do and give to us, you know, and my hope is that it always stays that way. Right now we're okay, but uh, you know, I don't think any of us can predict long-term what the results of this will be. So Deborah, I know you have tons of great volunteers and great board members, but mm -hmm. I have to ask, I know that uh, Jesse Eisenberg and Anna Strout have been helping you and they've gotten some national press about the things that they've been doing for Middleway now um what kinds of things have they been doing well we had our fern sale and they helped deliver ferns to people who bought them socially distanced well they did it um jesse has even swept and mopped the floors in our transitional housing building because we have the cleaning rotations over there too um he's helped out with some of the repairs with the maintenance they've helped with the mulching outside i mean anything honestly that we need, if we ask them to help with, they're always willing. And I appreciate that because we have lost so many volunteers due to um, IU students leaving. And so it has been greatly welcome to have their actual physical help in the work that we do. I think I'd be remiss if I didn't mention, for those of you who, anybody out there who, that doesn't know, um, Anna Strout is the daughter of the late, great uh, Toby Strout, who was the founder of Middleway House, one of the founders of Middleway House and the longtime director before, before Deborah. She and her husband, Jesse Eisenberg, have been here helping out. So if you have any questions or comments for us today, you, you can still call us. We have about 20 minutes to go in the program, maybe about 15 minutes to go in the program. Uh, send us a an email to news at Indiana um, news at uh, email us tweet us at noon edition. You can also send us an email to noon edition. Um, wait a minute, I'll I'll get that right in a minute. News at Indiana Public Media org. Sorry, where I'm having my brain's having technical difficulty today. I guess um, Zoe. So the um, the quarantine and the the idea that um, you know everybody is is trying to to deal with this um, again. Can you just talk a little bit more about um, the LGBT community and and how this affects people, you know, in that in that area? 
Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think I think there's a lot of ways in which um, the pandemic is especially hard on marginalized populations like like LGBTQ individuals. Um, so often, you know, uh, individuals who are uh, sexual and gender minorities, you know, maybe for example, don't have support of um, family who are not accepting um, of them or who have um, chosen to distance from them. Um, they may, uh, so they may not have that kind of social support, other people to turn to if they're experiencing, for example, domestic violence or, or other problems during uh, their social isolation. Um, they also may fear reaching out, and um, I know Middle Way is incredibly welcoming, but you know a lot of people who um, who are LGBTQ have have been discriminated against in the past, have not felt supported, so they may have trouble trusting that, um, and they may fear that you know if they were to come forward, uh, that that they would be discriminated against. They may also fear coming forward because they fear that. Um, they may contribute to bad ideas about the LGBTQ community. So if they come forward and say, you know, for example, my same-sex partner um, is abusing me, that it, it might feed discrimination and stereotypes um, about same-sex couples. So all of these kinds of um, pieces of oppression and discrimination just make the situation more complicated. Mm -hmm. Sarah? I can ask a follow-up about that. What about... Um young people who might have had to go home to their parents and perhaps they're not supportive. It just seems like that could really put, put young people in a bad way. Yes, absolutely. And, and I think we're hearing a lot of reports of that, that uh, LGBTQ young adults um, who you know were, were outside of their home and, um, and away from their families have now had to return to families that are unsupportive and had to stay there with their families without their other kinds of social networks and supports, which I think um, is incredibly hard on, on people's mental health. Deborah, in another area that uh, is related, according to, to um, UN News, social isol isolation may also make it harder for human trafficking victims to leave their current situations. Um, law enforcement resources are diverted, travel restrictions are in place. Is that something that you at Middleway House get involved with? We do work with trafficking survivors and absolutely, I think anything that isolates individuals more is going to make it more challenging for individuals to recognize somebody who's being trafficked and to reach out and help them. Um, another concern that, you know, really concerns me and, and um, I'm sure Melissa too, is the increase in gun sales that have showed up. And in March, my understanding is there was a huge increase um, in gun sales and there was like 3.7 million requests for background checks for guns. And when you think about how much, how many individuals are killed in domestic violence by guns, um, over half of the females that are killed in intimate partner relationships are killed by a gun. And we look at Indianapolis, not so far away, where we recently had an officer who was killed responding to a domestic violence situation. That worries me a whole lot that we might be adding guns in a home with isolation and where domestic violence is going on. So 
that that worries me every day. Yeah. How about uh, Melissa, could you add to that? And then I have a follow-up for you as well. Yeah, sure. Um, I agree with Deborah on so many of these points. So, um, and Zoe, when we were talking about isolation and the more, the more isolation somebody might experience, it's going to cause increased problems. Um, and then Deborah mentioned gun sales. I don't have exact numbers on gun sales. However, I have also seen that um, just around and other news sources that those numbers have skyrocketed. And that's a, that is a major concern for safety and safety of everybody involved, just like Deborah said, including police officers. Um, domestic violence calls can be very dangerous in general. So officers are always very, very alert and try their very best to do all the safety things uh, when they recall, when they respond to those calls. So those are both very, very big concerns for us as well. Our producer has uh, sent me a note that says March was, according to the New York Times, March was the biggest month in sales, gun sales since 2013. So uh, the numbers are definitely going up. Uh, my follow-up for you, Melissa, is about people who are experiencing homelessness and um, what what this is doing to that particular population in terms of uh, social uh, from a social worker standpoint, and also for the resource officers of the police department. Yeah, absolutely. That's a really great question. So. Of course, we have really great partners in our community with Wheeler and with Shalom who are doing great things and still serving that population. Um, but due to regulations, of course, they've had to make a lot of changes in terms of spacing people out more. And a lot of people who are experiencing homelessness, even if they were out living in the woods or something else before, wanted to be inside someplace whenever we heard about this pandemic and how things spread. Um, and it just became, and it, the shelters became very full, very fast. Um, and there's been changes in terms of people who, you know, Shalom and Wheeler are usually places where people who experience homelessness can get together and have that community where, they just can't have that right now the same way. And I think those are growing concerns. Um, I know the health department and Wheeler work together to train some peers on social distancing and ways to protect yourself from COVID. And those peers are going out with little bags that include uh, hand sanitizer, uh, face covering, and things like that. So that so people experiencing homelessness are educating other people experiencing homelessness about ways to stay safe during this time. How does this issue with people experiencing hom homelessness overlap with the domestic violence issue and just the the issue of violence in general? Yeah, I think people who are already experiencing homelessness have a huge, have huge stressors already, right? So they don't always know where they're sleeping that night. Um, they can typically get a meal where whenever they, you know, if they go to Shalom or Wheeler and that's pretty stable if they can get there. 
Um, but if you're already having those stressors and you add on the pandemic of people who might not have jobs now because restaurants aren't at full capacity and things like that, and you're adding those types of stressors onto that, it's just going to increase the likelihood of violence in any sort. Um, but if you just think about it in layers, you just keep adding on another layer and another layer and another layer, and you're just going to increase the likelihood. Deborah, have you seen uh, any relationship between, you know, COVID and the pandemic and domestic violence with people who are experiencing homelessness? Homelessness. Domestic violence is one of the greatest causes of homelessness for individuals, women with children. Um, you know, we always have individuals in our community who are experiencing homelessness and domestic violence both. And it can make them more vulnerable because if the choice is homelessness or being, if they feel like their only choice is homelessness or being with their abuser, they may go back to the abuser, especially during this time, out of fear of being homeless and going to a shelter with the unknown of the virus. So, I mean, I, I totally agree with what Melissa said with the layers and layers. I mean, you know, when we work in these social service fields, it's not just one clean issue. Like we're just dealing with domestic violence. We are dealing with individuals with domestic violence who also experience homelessness, who also experience poverty, who might experience addiction issues, you know, so many different things. It's, it's never just one issue. So it intersects in many ways. So Deborah, and then maybe Melissa, what would you all tell someone right now who is going through a domestic violence situation and they're worried about leaving or um, even calling during the pandemic because of all the uncertainties surrounding, you know, the economy and infection and all of those things, how would you advise them? I, I would suggest them to reach out and I'll give our number again, 812-336-0846 or to chat with us through our message line. Um, you know, reach out and talk. It does not commit you to anything. I mean, if you're wondering about shelter, call and ask how we're working to keep it safe. Um, let us at least safety plan with you. If you know you're not gonna leave, let us safety plan with you to talk about how you can best stay safe in your situation. Um, like if, if things start to escalate, what's the safest room of the house for you to be in? Um, know that, that there's people there to support you. Um, I think most important that you deserve help. No one deserves to experience abuse. And um, I think a lot of times there's friends and people that they may interact with um, that they may have lost those connections with during this time, maybe coworkers who they had as support systems. So what I would ask people most of all is stay connected to people, especially if they were people who you thought might have had problems at home in their relationship, stay connected to them. Even if you're just calling to check on the family, just being a constant to them can be helpful to them, knowing that they have still people around to support them. Um, 
you know, sometimes you just calling and checking in on somebody might break that tension in the home for a moment and kind of help calm things down in that moment. Um, just stay connected and watch out for each other. Um, be there for each other. Let people know that they're not alone. Let them know it's okay to call us and it is not committing them to anything. Yeah, uh, I don't know that I can add anything to that. Deborah, that was amazing. Um, but yeah, I mean, first and foremost, you we validate what people are experiencing, right? So whatever they're feeling, whatever they're experiencing, yeah, of course you, there's increased anxiety about wanting to do, leave right now with the uncertainty of COVID and all of those, all of those things. So just really validating people that they're, you know, they're thinking through those decisions. You always safety plan. And I always, like Deborah mentioned, has mentioned a couple of times, I always say Middleway House does so much more than just offer shelter. They have people who are on the line all the time, right? They have groups. They have all of these things that don't require you to be outside of your home. So I try to make sure I um, really help them understand that it's more than just having to leave. Zoe, do you wanna add anything to that? No, I mean, I think I agree. I think that's all really great advice. And I, and I like what Deborah said about you know, we can all kind of take some responsibility for reaching out to people we're concerned about for any reason. We're concerned that uh, they might be in a bad relationship or they might be really stressed or they might be having a hard time um, because, yeah, because this this social isolation is, is hard on everyone, but especially if they have other, those layers of stressors uh, that we've been talking about. We just have about uh, three minutes to go. Um, Deborah, I'm glad that Melissa said that. I mean, Middleway has a whole range of uh, services that you provide. One is your transitional housing uh, at the Rise, and I wanted to know how how things have changed at the Rise during the pandemic. You know, um, it's going on pretty much as it has been. I mean, people have their own apartments there. Um, the youth program right now is not operating how it um, previously did. Um, actually, I'm meeting with the youth program coordinator after this to kind of discuss reopening and how to navigate that so we don't have large crowds of kids all at once. But they've been doing um, YouTube videos for the kids, um, doing family like meetings with families through Zoom. Um, connecting with the kids that way. Um, the youth program has been delivering food to the families with kids. Uh, it's been actually, I've seen a lot of closeness in, in the, in the families at the rise, but different ways of clo becoming close. And well, it, yeah, along with that, just let me ask, I mean, I, I used to uh, drive by there in the mornings a lot and get stuck behind school buses. So mm -hmm. adding the fact that all those kids that are living there with their their moms are are staying at home there's had to have been a lot of education going on there too i assume yes and so the youth program coordinator has been supporting the families in that and we're making sure everybody has what they need to handle what they need to do for their education for the kids so the school was great in providing tablets for the kids to use so it's actually gone well and i think there has probably been a whole lot of parents that have really been proud of themselves through this situation on what they've accomplished. 
Okay, we're down to our last minute. I want to give everybody a, an opportunity to just add their last comments about how, you know, how we, how people can, well, first of all, how people can stay safe if they're uh, experiencing something like domestic violence. And secondly, how can people who, how can the rest of us help out? So, Deborah, you might as well just go first. Okay, I'm going to give our number again. It's 812-336-0846. And one thing I want to say is this community has always been so supportive around issues of domestic violence and sexual violence and human trafficking. And I appreciate that. And, you know, we continue to need your support. Um, Our volunteer opportunities are going to look different in the future and we need you to help us with volunteers and all the great things that you've always done for us we appreciate it so much okay uh 15 seconds each melissa (laughs) and zoe uh so i'll just say i mean i agree with that if you're having if you're struggling in whatever way reach out reach out to middleway reach out to um, a local therapist that includes if you're worried about your own anger so we didn't talk about that but if you're worried um, that you're having trouble controlling your anger there are really ways ways to help with that so i just encourage people to reach out and to check in on each other all right awesome okay. and yeah um please 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 um if you see something or if you hear something please call 911 um and remember that you can text 911 if you don't feel like you can make that call um, so that's always an option as well. And just know that there are lots of people out here to support you. All right. Thank you very much. Wilmington Police Department. We've also heard from Zoe Peterson from Indiana University's Kinsey Institute and IU and Deborah Morrow, Executive Director of Middleway House. For our producers, Bento Boutier and Kathy Knapp, for John Bailey, and for engineers Matt, Matt Stonecipher and Mike Pashkash, and for co-host Sarah Whitmire, I'm Bob Zaltzberg. Thanks for listening. Noon Edition is a production of WFIU Public Radio. A podcast of this program is available at WFIU.org. Production support for Noon Edition comes from Smithville, fiber internet, streaming TV, home security, and automation in southern Indiana. More information at smithville.com. And from the Bloomington Health Foundation, partnering with local organizations and citizens to invest in programs that address our community's health needs. Bloomington Health Foundation, improving health and well-being takes a community. More at bloomhf.org.